Excellent singing. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I'm going to be talking this morning about how we interact with, with each other. But reality is, is I'll go back here a little bit. The reality is, is until you get this right here, what we just sang, you're not going to interact with each other the way that God wants us to. Because of what Christ did on the cross is why that we can do what I'm going to talk about this morning. Romans chapter 15. I heard a, a pastor one time was preaching on the subject of unity, which we're going to talk about in, in effect this morning. And he said to his congregation, he said, I have good news and I have bad news. Those are always interesting words. He said, the good news is that everyone who receives Jesus gets to go to heaven. The bad news is we have to travel there together. I think that uh, if you have been in church at all, you understand that there are people we don't get along with. There are people that maybe are frustrating, that it's easy to get out of sorts with others. We understand conflict. Even in families, there are conflicts. The story is told of a little boy who was sitting on a, the, the front steps of his house. He had his, his face in his hands, and his dad came home from work, and, and he said to him, son, what's wrong? And the son's just sh- shaking his head, and he finally looked up, and he said, dad, just between just between us, I'm having trouble getting along with that wife of yours. <laughs> Every family has friction. You have friction you know, with your spouse, you have friction with your kids, you have friction with your parents. But you know what? In, the, in, in church, sometimes we see the same friction. We've been uh, going through a study of the one and other passages of Scripture. Last two weeks ago, we looked at that we're to pray for one another. Last week, we looked at we're to encourage one another. This morning, I want to take some time and I want to look at the command that God gives us to bear with one another. Bear with one another. You know, Satan's desire is to cause friction in our church and in any church. And so, if Satan can get us to become annoyed with, upset with, uh, out of sync with each other, then you know what? Our mission will not be successful. If we don't work at it, our little idiosyncrasies and our little differences are going to be what becomes irritants, and those irritants are going to be what divide us and unravel us as a church. I grew up in uh, Connecticut, as many of you know, and as a a young kid, we attended a church, and I'm not going to go into details of it, but we attended a church that uh, was a large church. We were a church of, as a kid, we had seven, eight hundred and I remember as a 10th grader, sitting in a business meeting in the back row of the church, my parents said I could leave if I wanted, and I opted to sit in the back row, and watched as individuals attacked individuals in this church. And I watched a disunity that was created, and I sat there as a 10th grader, and my first thought was, I could never be a pastor. <laughs> I don't want to deal with people. <laughs> but I realized as I've grown up and as I've matured and I've looked back at that, first of all, I realized 
that God used it to make me a stronger pastor. Because my love for people is that I've learned to deal with their, their, our differences instead of attacking each other. But the second thing I learned is, is I learned that Satan desires to have those things happen so that the gospel that we just sang about cannot go forward. God has such an incredible plan for the church. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God's desire is for us that we stay unified. Does that mean that we're going to have differences? Yes. But we stay unified. God paints an incredible picture of the church as you look through, through the New Testament. You see that in Ephesians, when he's talking about husbands, how you treat your wives, he uses the picture of Christ in the church. And he says this about the church. He says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. God's desire is to, to present the churches spotless, without wrinkle. God's desire is to present this beautiful image to the world. And we're that beautiful image as a church. He says in, in Ephesians, he says, adds to that in verse, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is he saying? He's saying, God is saying this, he says, my desire is that you as a church, you are the manifestation of my wisdom. How is it possible then that an institution that brings pleasure to God, an institution that reveals God's wisdom, is often filled with bitter complaints, growing grudges, and lack of forgiveness? So I have a simple question for you this morning. If God says the body of Christ is beautiful, then why is it that believers drive us nuts? We all have difficult people in our lives. However, we're not to live in disunity as the body of Christ. How many coercive Christians, how many annoying Christians, I guess we could say, are eating away at your insides, are getting on your nerves, are rubbing you the wrong way? And I want to suggest to you this morning something. I want to suggest to you that it's good to have these kind of people in your lives because it reveals what's in your heart. Our passage this morning gives us six ways we can tolerate those who try our patience. And while it's difficult to put up with people, and we understand that sometimes it's hard, God demands and God commands that we bear with one another. So let's look at the passage together in, in Romans chapter 15. And I'll read, and you can follow along, starting in verse 1. We'll read down to verse 6. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this passage. God, I am thankful for this church. Lord, I know that this message that I'm about to preach for so many in here, this is an area that they've already 
gain the victory. But I pray that it will be a reminder to them. Lord, for those that are struggling with this, I pray that you will give them grace, that you will give them the ability to understand the text and the courage to, to live it out. Lord, I pray you be with me as I speak. Lord, help it to be not words that I have written down and decided, but words that your Holy Spirit guides and directs. And we ask this in your name. Amen. As we look at chapter 15, we have to uh, do justice to the passage by understanding chapter 14. And I'm not going to take the time to read it, but if you go back to chapter 14, Paul is addressing a conflict that has, has risen up in the church in Rome. The big problem was whether or not it was okay for Christians to eat meat that might have been offered to idols before it was taken to the market. This was a common thing. Paul dealt with this with the church at Corinth. Paul dealt with this here in the church at Rome. And what it was was uh, there was uh, squabblings inside the church and some were saying it's no big deal. I mean, I can go to the market and I can buy this meat and, and maybe it was offered to idols, maybe it wasn't, but I can take it home and I can have it and I'm okay. But there was others in the church that were saying, no, that's sin. And so it was creating conflict there. And, and, and Paul addresses this to the church at Corinth, and he basically says it's meat. <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. But for those of you who think it's a big deal, then you shouldn't eat it. And so that's the idea of what he's addressing here. And so as he's going through that, he says he uses the phrase weak and strong. And he says in verse uh, 1, he says those that are strong. And, and those that are strong states have no problem with eating the meat. While others felt that if they did, it would be, they would be spiritually contaminated. And those Paul refers to as weak. You know, guess what? In this church, we all think differently. There are going to be some of you who come to a stand on a certain issue one way, and some of you come to a stand on that same issue a different way. We can easily fall into the trap that we think what we do, or our perspective is right, our perspective is proper, and those who differ from us are somehow wrong. Some of us uh, go out of our way to try to control how other believers think and behave. We secretly judge them if they don't match up to our standards. And that's what he's dealing with here. In fact, most of us would classify ourselves as the strong brother. Well, I believe this, and so I'm the strong brother, and they're weak. Let me give you an illustration of this in today's perspective. Okay? Um, let's see, we have, I'm going to pick on some people. I have Mark over here. Mark is um, on our deacon board, and uh, I have another Mark over here also on our deacon board, so I'll pick on the two Marks, okay? Let's imagine Mark Lance over here is an uh, avid eater of ice cream. Do you like ice cream, Mark? He loves it, okay. What's your favorite kind? Butter pecan, okay. Oh, he likes butter pecan, and he says, I eat butter pecan every single day of the week, sometimes twice. Wednesday, I eat it three times. Okay, and that's, that's his rule. Well, Mark... Mark Whiney over here says, hey, I believe I've searched Scripture, and as I've searched Scripture, I think that it's wrong to eat ice cream on Wednesday at all. And he comes to that conclusion. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, you're going to have those disagreements. You know, and, and so, would it be wrong for Mark to eat the ice cream? No. Would it be wrong for this Mark to? Well, if he thinks it's wrong, then yes it is. But he cannot... Judge this mark for it. You see, we do this all the time in church. And some of you might say, well, I don't, you know, I don't like that song we sang. 
but others do. And others are encouraged and grow. Now, I want to make a point here. What we're talking about is not sin issues. We are not asked to tolerate each other's trespasses. In fact, we'll talk about this in one of the one another's later on. But as Christians, our responsibility is to confront those that are sinning. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those, those areas where we are wired differently than the other person. Where we think slightly different. You know, we're not talking about the black and white of Scripture. And, and if it's, uh, you know, if, if Mark and Mark here, it's ice cream, who cares? But if it's something in a grander scale and, and, and it's the area of sin, of uh, adultery or, or of lying or of other sins, then it is our responsibility. So what he's talking about here is, is difference of opinions. He's telling us that these differences of opinions sometimes are expressed in different ways, and sometimes they're expressed in, in the way we think. Sometimes they're expressed in, in, in habits. Sometimes they're expressed in just that they're just different than us. And here's the rub. While a person may uh, turn you and, and make you think wrongly about them and may do something in a wrong way, they may not be sinning against you but I can very easily sin against them by my attitudes and my actions in response. And that's what we need to address. And so Paul gives six action words, I believe, that will help us to understand this idea. And I only give them to you this morning. First of all, he says endure. If you look back in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, he says, For we, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. The first thing we're called to do is to put up with each other. You say, really? That's, that's the idea? Yeah, that's the idea. If you look at the passage, he says a few key words that I wanted you to notice. He says, those who are strong have an obligation. He says the idea of obligation there has, has the idea of we're obligated to be gracious with each other. We're obligated to be kind to each other. We're obligated to be put up with each other. There's an obligation there. He goes on and he says that we have an obligation to bear. The word bear means to endure patiently. It's the idea of long-suffering, slow to anger, putting up with. He goes on, what does he say we're to bear? If you notice there, he says we have an obligation to bear the failings. That word failings uh, is the idea of a slight or insignificant defect in conduct or ability. It's a small thing. Sometimes as Christians, we get uptight and we get angry about the littlest things, don't we? I mean, that guy just you know, looked at me the wrong way. Or that person, man, I just don't like the way they said that. Or, oh, I, I, you know, I don't understand why Pastor Pete did that. Little thing over there. We get irritated. And that becomes uh, an area that can affect the church. To bear with someone is to be willing to suspend a demand of my own out of a consideration for another. We often, we're ready to, you know, to knock someone off, we're ready to square off uh, with them, but we seldom bear with them. We seldom bear with people. We're challenged here to restrain our natural reaction towards odd or difficult people by letting them be themselves without thinking that they need to become like us. 
You know, you don't think like the person sitting next to you. If you're married, you don't think like your spouse, right? So how is it that we expect we're going to think like someone who sits on the other side of the auditorium that we don't know very well? And he says here, you know, you have an obligation, you have a responsibility to endure patiently the differences you have with other people. Bear with them. And it's more than just a, you know, it's not just we're supposed to be cordial with them. I think that's a lot of times what we as Christians think. We're supposed to be cordial with them. We're supposed to, we're supposed to just put up with them and in the sense of, you know, I'll, I'll, when they walk by, I'll, I'll nod and then I'll keep walking because I don't like them. That's not, that's not the idea of Scripture because if you notice what I, what I said a few moments ago, he says, bear with, the idea is, is a endure patiently, and he says it's an obligation, which means we're supposed to show graciousness to them. And the idea of graciousness is we're to be ones who are, are giving. We're not to be detached, but Paul calls us to be gracious in order to, to achieve an intimacy with them. The key here is found at the end of the verse. If you look at the end of verse 1, notice what he says there. So this we're to, obligated to bear with the failings of another, and then notice what he says, and not to please ourselves. While our tendency is to strive for first place, we're to lunge ourselves to last place as we follow the example of Christ who died for us. You and I must learn. We must learn in our relationship with others not to please ourselves, but to instead to sacrificially serve what, what he says, the weak. And to serve them, and, and it's important for the sake of the church. Notice, notice what Paul said, and Paul talked about this to the church at Corinth, and he was dealing with some issues there, and he says to them, he, you know, he says, we've, we've given you the gospel, and because we've given you the gospel, we've led you to Christ. And notice his, his response to that. He says, if others share the rightful claim on you, do we not even more? In other words, he's saying, don't I have a right to tell you how to act and how to live, and don't I have a right to, to impact the way you live? And then notice what he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. In other words, what Paul is saying is, is, I have the right to come and tell you, I don't like your little idiosyncrasies. I don't like the way you're acting because I have invested so much of my life into you. But he says, you know what? I give up that right. Why? Because in doing that, I don't want to be a stumbling block to this person over here who's trying to come to the gospel, but all they see is the bickering. So I give up that right. I say it's not necessary. You know, Ephesians, Paul tells us how to bear with one another. Notice what he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And he gives us, he gives us four ways there. He says we're to be humble. We have way too many Christians who are not humble. And you, you, you have a conflict with someone else and you're not willing to say, you know what, it's not worth it, I'll back down. Are we humble? Second, he says in that passage in Ephesians, he says, be gentle. Be gentle. Be caring. Now, in our church in the last few months, we've had a number of babies born. And uh, I, I love babies, especially when they're someone else's. And I can, like, you know, look at their cute little faces and, and touch their soft little skin and then, and then walk away when they start screaming. <laughs> 
You know, how do you treat a baby? You treat them gently. And as Christians, we need to be treating each other gently. He says there, be gentle. How do you bear with? Be gentle. He goes on, he says, be patient. Be patient. When someone acts in a way that you, you think is wrong, are you patient with them? Again, we're not addressing, we're not talking about sin here. If, there, if there's sin involved, then we as Christians have the responsibility to do what's right. Are we patient? Even though they're different than us. And then notice he said, be loving. Be loving. Put others above ourselves. Think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. Treat people in the way that uh, God treats us. Well, that's a hard one. Paul goes on in Colossians, though, and he adds to this, and when I want to add a fifth one. He says in, in Colossians, how do we bear with one another? He says, bearing with one another, and if, if one has a claim against another, forgive each other. He adds the last one there is to be, be forgiving. Are, are we forgiving? When someone does do something that bothers you, how long do you hold the grudge? How long do you hold that pain onto that pain? Let it go. Forgive. It says if, if they've done something, forgive. You know, as we see there, we're to endure. The second thing I wanted us to notice was we're to build. Look again, if you will, at Romans chapter 15 and verse 2. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. The phrase build up there is a construction term. If we bear with one another, we allow God to help construct Christians, to build the lives of others who are, who are trying to seek God. When we get annoyed with people, when we, when we get irritated with people's differences than us, or, or their habits, or, or, or their slight different view on this, on this topic, we are either willingly or unwillingly participating in the process of tearing them down. And I'm tired of Christians tearing other Christians down. We see it all the time. We see the impact it has on people around us. And I'm 40 years old, but I've grown up in Christian churches my entire life, and I've seen it so many times. We need to be willing to build up. We're not just to endure those around us, but instead we're to encourage them. Last week we talked about encouragement. When we talked about encouragement, we said the idea of encouragement is to to come alongside, to call them to do the right thing, to, to be the type of person that shows love to them. And if we're to build them up, it's more than just it's more than just say, I'm going to avoid them. It's more than just saying I'm going to stay away from them. But no, it's I'm going to do whatever I can to make them stronger. We looked at this verse last week, but in First Thessalonians, he says, therefore encourage one another and build uh, one another up as you are doing. Are your actions in your life with Christians around you building each other up? Are you going to those that, that sometimes they, they drive you nuts and are you saying, okay, I want to build them up and make them stronger by the way that I interact with them? You know what? We cannot build up. We cannot endure if we're not doing the next one. Notice if you will back at Romans chapter 15 and verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please Himself, but that as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. We cannot build up if we 
aren't looking up to Jesus. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, we'll be reminded that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. This passage here is quoting Psalm 69.9, and in and, and there it talks about the fact that Jesus was willing to take on the insults of irritating people. He was willing to take that on, and he didn't do, do what it was necessary to please himself, but he took on himself the reproaches. He took on himself the, the pains so that he could bear with them so that others could come to Christ. Here's the thing, is if we're looking up at Jesus... And we'll realize something. We sang just a moment ago the power of the cross. And I find it incredible that as a Christian, we can have uh, an attitude of dislike for other people if we really take the time to look at the power of the cross. When I look at what Jesus Christ did for me, really as we were singing that song, I, I had a hard time singing that without getting emotional. That Jesus Christ came to earth, sinless, perfect, not deserving death, not deserving punishment, not deserving anything like that. And he came and he, he lived a life as a human, which first of all is a massive sacrifice for the, the creator of all things. He lived the the life of a human, but then he died a horrific, horrible, painful death. Why? Because of my sins. And yet, he says to us, bear with one another, and we say, well, you don't understand. That person is so difficult to bear with. Really? He's saying in this passage, how is it that we're going to bear with one another? It's if we stop living for ourselves, if we desire to build up, but ultimately says if we look to Jesus and we realize that that's how Jesus lived, that's how Jesus interacted, and we live in a way that is pleasing to Him. Look at Jesus and remember that He puts up with you, and He puts up with the person who's bugging you. Take your eyes off of yourself and resist the urge to judge one another. You see the fourth one in verse 4. Not only are we to endure, not only are we to build, not only are we to look, but we're to grow. Notice what it says in verse 4. He says there, For whatever was written in the former days was written in for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. If you're ever going to bear with difficult people in our lives, we must take responsibility to grow in our faith. Yes, because there are people who are going to irritate you, but as you grow in your faith, you know what you'll find out? That, that, that happens less and less. You know, there are many people who are still uh, children. You know, uh, I remember working with little kids. When I, when I first started in ministry, I, I had a part-time job, and I was um, a PE teacher. And I remember the first day of PE, I was, I was, uh, I had, it was first grade. And I had these two first graders that started fighting with each other. And, and, I, and I went over and I started talking to them, and it was the, the silliest thing, you know, and, and but that's usually what it is. Now, that was a long time ago, so those first graders are probably now, I don't know, adults. And so hopefully they've learned to get beyond that type of squabbling. 
because we're there to grow. We expect them to grow in maturity. We expect them to change. But as Christians, the same thing is true, is that if we're going to get over these, these issues, then we're going to have to grow. And how does that happen? Then it can only happen as we spend time in the Word of God. It can only happen as, as we approach the Word of God. In this passage, he says there, in verse 4, he says, For whatever is written in former times was written for our instruction, that through endurance. The word endurance there is the idea of dealing with problems and other people's weaknesses. And the Bible encourages us uh, that the only way that can happen is if, if we're in His Word. The Bible encourages us so that, he says there at the end of that verse, he says, so that we might have hope. That we might have hope. And, and the hope is that we're going to change. The hope is that we're going to grow and so will others. We'll grow. We'll learn to interact. The question for you though is, are you reading God's Word on a regular basis so that you can grow? Let me state this very simply. It's impossible to grow as a Christian if you're not allowing God's Word to enter your life. That's why Peter said this, like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. You know, Peter links here our growth as a Christian with our spiritual diet. In the same way that our growth as a human is related to our, our, our actual diet, our, our food that we eat. It's not, when we, it's not until we soak ourselves in Scripture that we begin to change. Begin to see something happen. We open God's Word and we read God's Word. It's more than just simply reciting. It's more than just simply seeing the words. We're actually allowing God's Word to penetrate us and to change us. It does the work of First, Second Timothy 3 where he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Are we growing? Are you growing? The fifth one we see is to live. Notice, if you will, in verse 5. I read this verse to you last week when we talked about encourage. We said, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Instead of slamming each other and trying to live the Christian life on our own, God wants to keep us from division and strife. God wants us to live a victorious life. Since God bears with us, we must be willing to stand up with those who have fallen down or are different than us. God's heart for the church is to be unified. God's heart for the church is to be so connected that everything we do is, is, is in a sense, is, is of one heart and one mind. In Acts, he says this, he says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Are we that way? And I don't know about you, but I've made the mistake of allowing my impressions of people to keep me from having one heart and one mind with them. I've made the mistake in the past of allowing maybe a difference of opinion I've had it with someone to allow me to be dis, uh, uh, unified with them. I remember um, when my wife and I were in Minnesota and uh, I'm going to talk about someone that Nate and Callie will know too, but when my wife and I were in Minnesota, we, uh, I was serving as youth pastor, and um, Nate and Callie were in my youth group, and actually this was probably before they were in the youth group, but there was a couple who came to our church. 
my wife and I knew them. We had gone to college with them together, and, and uh, they uh, were now had moved to the area because he was going to seminary in the area. And, and uh, so they came and visited our church, and the first Sunday they came and visited our church, we decided to go out to lunch together, and, and uh, so we went out to lunch, and, and during this meal, this, this educated, very educated, very brilliant man, very, uh, uh, he, he had a servant's heart, he loved people, but he began to, through this whole meal, just verbally attack us. He began to criticize everything, you know, from the fact that he felt that and, you know, Scripture said, uh, never says anything about youth pastors, so my position must have been unbiblical to, to you know, the church my wife grew at was, was, was a horrible place. And we walked out of there, and my wife and I were just, we felt beaten up. And immediately, my opinion of this guy was wrong. And I didn't want him to come to my church. I wanted nothing to do with him. I was hoping, please go somewhere else. Because you, you, you're, you're, you're irritating, I don't want to have to deal with you. And you know, and he chose to come to our church, and I remember I, I had a wrong attitude towards him, and my perspective was wrong, and I didn't want to live in unity, I didn't want to talk to him, and every time he came around me, I had a hard time dealing with him. And then one summer, we had, we had vacation Bible school, and he came to me and he said, you know, I, I would love to run the bus ministry for this. He said, can you, can you and I go and, and visit some people? I didn't want to. I was so frustrated by the things that he said to me that I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I, and you know, being a compliant pastor, I said, sure. And so we went, and we went into the heart. This was in St. Paul. We went in the heart of two different project areas. And I watched him pour his life into these kids. And I watched him get on his knees afterwards and pray and in tears, talk about his, his love for these kids and all he wanted was to give them the gospel. And here I was, all, I was so you know, bitter over the way that he, he acted towards me that I wasn't willing to be unified with him. Now, I think we do that so often, and God does not want us to live like that. God wants us to cut people slack. They're going to be different than us. They're going to think differently than us. They're going to act differently than us. They're going to talk differently than us. But God wants us to, to move beyond that and, and say, you know what, I can be unified in love. And he says in that passage, he says, God's desire is that you live in such harmony with one another. You understand what that means? Those of you that like music, you get the idea of harmony. It's a separate part that comes alongside of the melody, but so blends with it that it's hard to notice the difference. It's two separate entities. And in our church, we may have someone who is one way and someone else who is another way, but they're so unified in the way that they act and the way that they think that their differences aren't noticeable. God tells us that that's how we're supposed to live. And, and, and then he gives us one last word, and I want, to, I want you to notice that, that goes along with that one. And he says, I want, he says speak. Notice verse 6. I'm going to start in verse 5 because it's a continuation. Verse 5, he says, that the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may have one voice, with one voice, glorify God. 
The ultimate goal, the ultimate reason why we bear with one another is so that we can bring glory to God. It's not so that we're bigger and better than that person. It's not so that we're strong and they're weak. It's so that we bring glory to God. God does not want the fellowship, the church, to be fractured because we're divided. Because when we do that, we can't accomplish the purpose He has given us. And the purpose He has given us is ultimately to glorify His name. The phrase that we see there in that verse, He says, one voice is only possible when there's no contention and strife. Does that mean no disagreements? No, one of the things I have really grown to love about our church is that the leadership has one voice. Does that mean we're all the same? No. I've been in deacons meetings here where someone's disagreed with me or someone's disagreed with someone else, but you know what? We've never walked out in strife. In the 10 years I've been here, I can honestly say that. We've never walked out with, with uh, any sort of major disagreement that has caused a problem. There is going to be times when we don't always agree with people, but yet what he's saying here is as is, is we learn to bear with people in that, we learn to put up with people in that and endure, we can then with one voice declare, declare God's glory. We use the term glory so much in the church that we often skip over its significance. To glorify means to cause people's attention to focus on God so that they acknowledge Him as important. One, one pastor captured it this way. He said this, Glorifying God is making God look good to others. God's glory is how He shows who He is. Another preacher said it this way, suggests that God wants, uh, wants to make Himself recognizable to us. God wants us to know He is, but God also wants this. God wants to make Himself recognizable through us. Through the way that we live. As a church, what do people hear from this church when they hear us griping with each other? How can people learn about the glory of God if we're not bearing with each other? How can people learn about the glory of God if we're fighting over, you know, a type of music or or the type of clothing or or stuff like that? When we bear with one another, we can glorify God with one heart, with one mouth, thus making God recognizable to others. Do you want to learn to bear with one another? Do you want to? Then you need to endure, you need to build up, you need to look up, you need to grow, you need to live, you need to speak. And finally, just in the last few moments, I want to give some practical application. Last week uh, we talked about encouraging one another and my, my practical application was last week was at some point to encourage other people. Maybe through uh, face-to-face, maybe through text, email, some way encourage someone in the church and I hope you all did that. I want you to do something a little bit different this week. I want you to make a list of those who you struggle to bear. I want you to make a list of those who maybe uh, annoy you or maybe you have uh, minor disagreements with or, or something like that. Do you, do you find some issue that they have to be a problem to you? Not sin, but just an issue. Do you discover that their personal quirks are, are just difficult? 
Make a list of those people. And then secondly, pray for them for two weeks. Obviously, the plan is that you pray for them more than two weeks, but pray for them. Pray for them that God would allow you to understand who they are. That God would allow you to to have a a unity with them. And then thirdly, ask, ask God to change your heart about them. As hard as I might try, I very seldom can change someone else. The problem is not people, really. The problem is personal. It's me. And I need to go to God. And there's, there's times when I've done that. I've gone to God and said, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this person. It's not their fault. It's my fault. It's my fault because I'm viewing them the wrong way. I'm not viewing them as you do. And, and many times that's my prayer is, God, help me to view them the way you view them. Ask God to change your heart. Maybe there's, there's some that have gone beyond that. And the next one is maybe there's some that you need to, you, you need to get taken care of some things. You know, let go of the grudge. Let go of the grudge. And I've, I've heard stories in churches of, you know, of individuals who've been part of churches for 40, 50 years and, and, and they have a grudge and it's over the smallest little thing that happened a long time ago. Maybe that's you. Let go of it. Forgive faults. Next one, restore a broken relationship. Maybe you need to go to someone and say, I was wrong. I've been treating you poorly. I've been having a wrong attitude about you. I want you to forgive me. I want to restore this relationship. And then finally, perform an act of service. I'll tell you what, that is uh, oftentimes leads to change of our, the way we think. Loving feelings tend to follow loving actions. If I go out of my way to do something nice to someone, uh, you know what, it, it, it begins to cause me not to think highly of myself, but to think more loving about them. I've tried to do that uh, for many years now. You know, if, if, if I'm having a hard time with someone, I'll, I'll pray for them and maybe I'll jot them a note and just tell them, hey, I appreciate you. <laughs> By the way, if you get a note from me that says you appreciate me, that, uh, that I appreciate you, that doesn't mean that I don't like you. Okay, just <laughs> clarifying that. But, you know, we, that, that changes our demeanor towards them. One of the secrets to a successful church is to recognize that we're all different. And God blends our personalities, our our idiosyncrasies, our gifts, our talents, our experiences into something that He calls beautiful. And that's His desire. The analogy throughout Scripture is that the the church is the body of Christ and we're all individual parts. And and, and because we're all individual parts, we we respond and we act differently. And that's okay, but learning to work together. I challenge you this morning, if there's something that you need to make right, make it right. I challenge you this morning, if there's an attitude that you have that's wrong, take care of that. I challenge you that if, if you're here and you're, you're constantly looking and poking your finger trying to figure out who's done wrong, stop doing that. Pray for them. God will continue to work through our church, I believe, if we're united.
so that we can glorify him. Let's pray. God, I am thankful for this church. Lord, and as we are speaking, as we're talking here about bearing with one another, I am uh, thankful that we have a church who I know so many do that. Lord, I know that there is, this is a church of love. Lord, this is a church of people who, who genuinely care about each other, care about the needs of others, and, and Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, there's always areas that we can change. There's always areas that we can be different. Lord, and I pray that you will help us to be a church that are so, so unified in love that people come here and in here and they see that. They see that we're a church that, that cares about each other, but more than that, that we fight through our differences for the glory of God. And I pray that you'll help us to do that. And Lord, as we head into a time of communion, I pray that you'll help us to realize that none of that is possible without what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Help us not to forget that. We ask this in your name. Amen.